What if you've ever been asked to do something and you think that's going to be an utter waste of time? I could spend my time doing something more profitable. Perhaps you've been asked to go somewhere and you think this will be a journey that will not yield the result which I've been told it will yield. Maybe you've been asked to go to some shop to buy a particular item and you think they don't sell those things. I will not get it there. But because you've been told to go, you go. And what happens? Perhaps you go with little enthusiasm. You go thinking to yourself, well, I'm going, but I don't see the point. Only to find that as you return, you realize there was point in going. There was value. The person who asked you to go knew better than you did. And if it was a shopping trip, you got the item they wanted. If it was to go to another place for some other reason, the reason was well and true and good and the the result yielded great benefit perhaps for yourself and for others. Now those things don't happen to us very often in ordinary life but they do happen when we end up doing what we might think is the most unlikely thing and find blessing and encouragement as a result. It proves profitable and beneficial. And that must have been how Philip must have thought initially when God came to him and spoke to him and told him to go to a desert road. Here is Philip. He is in a place where he's been able to preach the word. We read that back at the beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Acts where uh, he, he, he was preaching and ministering to crowds. And in verse 6, when they heard him and saw the signs, they gave attention to his word. What a wonderful opportunity that was. Why then would Philip go to a desert road? To go to a place where it is unlikely there is anybody, or if there is anybody, very, very It seems, on the face of it, a very strange request from God. But Philip does go, and when he goes, he finds that the Lord is with him. He is obedient to the call. And then we have the whole scenario of the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's what we want to look at this evening And we're going to ask some very straightforward, simple questions and tease out how we can learn from this passage. First of all, we think about why Philip goes to the desert. Why does he do what he does? Well, he does it because he is clearly directed by the Lord. The text of Scripture, as we read, tells us that an angel of the Lord Uh, said to Philip, spoke to Philip, tells Philip, go south to the desert road. And so Philip is without doubt in his own mind that this is not some uh, notion in his own head. It's not some whim. It's not something he was wanted to do in and of himself. 
God, through the angel, has spoken to him. And that's why he takes the journey. It is only because God has directed him. And then when we read on into the story, we see how God continues to direct him. Why does he bother going near a chariot that is traveling along? Well, again, we read in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And out of that, of course, the whole uh, discussion with the Ethiopian eunuch grew and developed because he was obedient to the call to the word of God. And that is why he goes. It wasn't because it was the strategy of the church. It wasn't because it was something he thought would be a good idea in his own head. He was in close communion with his Lord and his God. And he recognized the great message of truth that he had. And he goes because the Lord speaks to him. He had been used by God to do miraculous works. He was fully committed to his Savior. And so when God spoke, Philip acted, Philip heard, Philip went. That is why Philip goes to the desert road. And friends, today we might ask the question, why would we do certain things for God? Why would we go and speak the message? Well, we don't need to look any further than what God has already told us in Scripture. Because He has already given us His instruction. You and I don't need to wait for an angel to come and speak. Nor do we really need to wait until we feel as though the Holy Spirit is moving us. Not at all. If we went on our feelings, we would do very little that is of any profit. No, we believe that the Scripture speaks and the Bible is clear and laying down before us the instruction. And if we are in communion with God, if you are following your Lord and Savior as you ought to be and in fellowship with God, He will guide and He will direct you. And part of His direction is quite simply the commission that we have in Matthew's Gospel. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. And that's not a word that is spoken simply to the preachers or the apostles or to those who have particular ability. It is spoken that all who are Christ's people. And that comes through as you read Scripture again and again. Everyone. Paul tells everyone that he writes to that we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Why? Because God has already told us that we are to speak the word to those around us. Whatever God may call you to do, we are to go and do it. And he certainly tells us that we have a message. If we know the wonder of salvation, we are to go. We don't need any other reason than the word of the living God. There are, of course, some who are called, like myself, to minister the word of God. Some called to take this task. And I would say that we, the mission worker, the minister, 
doesn't do that on his own whim. He didn't wake up one day and decide, oh, that's a good idea. That'd be an easy job. I'll go and do that. Not at all. We believe that God spoke. God challenged. God had to work maybe over months and years in some ministers' lives to get them to the place where he wanted them to be until they could do nothing else but obey his voice and go. And we should be mindful of that as we're praying for men for ministry. The the work of the gospel is a mighty work and we need to pray that he will send people. We are all called to be witnesses. That's why we're to speak the word. But there are those who will be called especially by God into the full-time work of ministry or mission. So why did Philip go to a desert road? It looked as though that task wasn't going to be very satisfying. A desert road. Why did he go? Because God told him to go. Secondly, we think about who Philip meets. Who does he meet? He doesn't meet a crowd of people, but as we read, he goes down to that desert road and there he meets Ethiopian eunuch, a man as he is described here, who is an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. In other words, he had a very important and high-powered job. We might say he was the chancellor of the exchequer, and maybe more than that. He was the one who advised the queen in all her ways. Here's a man who is taking life seriously, a man who himself is a very important in his worldly position. But we also learn something more about him. What is he doing? Who is it that that Philip meets? He's a man who has taken religion very seriously. He has gone up as a God-fearer to Jerusalem to worship. And that tells us that he has already heard about the God of the Israelites and he has gone up to worship God. And what is he doing, of course, we'll see in a moment, he's reading the very word of God. So here's a man committed, a man who wants to know more, and a man who has influence in his homeland. That is who Philip meets with. It's only one man, because immediately after this incident, as we read at the end, Philip is taken away suddenly, dramatically. And the Philip leaves the Ethiopian eunuch to go home, pondering the news that he has heard. But what does he take with him? He takes with him the good news. He takes with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes as a baptized believer back to Ethiopia. And there, no doubt, that faith began to shine through to others. So this man became the sower of the seed to others. We're not told that, but what else could he do but declare the marvelous works of God that this man had come alongside his chariot and come up and told him about 
the Lord Jesus. One man spoken to, and the influence was going to be many. This was God's design and God's purpose. That was who Philip was to go and meet. Friends, that incident should encourage you to be a testimony and a witness to whoever you meet. You may not be called to preach to hundreds or even tens, but you may be a witness to one or to two here and there. Your words may only be one link in the chain. Philip had the blessing of seeing this man come to faith and be baptized. I wonder how many others had spoken to him. Had he heard in Jerusalem something of the word? And now as Philip speaks, all of what he has heard begins to click into place. One man, and he had influence as he went on to Ethiopia over many. And you and I are called to be witnesses. Our words may seem few. It may at times seem as though we're not doing very much or saying very much. But if that person comes to faith, they too will go and be witness to Jesus Christ. So wherever you are, whoever you meet, they need to hear the message. Here's a man who needed to be told of the true Redeemer. He needed to be told about Jesus. And we meet people every single day who need to be told about Jesus. And they need to be told about the God who is sovereign judge of all the earth. And so, who are we to go to? Family, and friends, and neighbors. It's not good enough to say, well, I've done my missionary bit I've sent people to France and to Spain and I pay my dues to the mission committee. No, that's, that's only a part of our work. We go where we're at. Earlier in Acts in chapter 1, where does the work begin? In Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are to begin with those whom we know. Who Philip meets. Thirdly, where does Philip begin? And they often think that's a question. You think about, well, where do I begin? I know Joe Bloggs, and I'm going to meet him again today. Where am I to begin with such a person? Where was Philip to begin with the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, God by the uh, prompted Philip, and he ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. And here Philip begins exactly where the Ethiopian eunuch is. And he asks that leading question. And of course, we might look at this situation and say, well, it was simple for Philip. It was easy for him. Isaiah 53. I mean, if you wanted someone to be reading from the Jewish Old Testament Bible... Where better could they have started? Not in the middle of Deuteronomy, but in Isaiah 53, a passage that we know speaks so clearly of the Messiah who was to come. 
Philip began, however, where this man was on his spiritual journey. And he begins to dig down and get to the root of things. What an opportunity Philip had. Straightforward in many ways. And he spoke to him. But friends, our situations are going to be diff- more difficult. Perhaps we might view it that way. But if we go according to the call of God, if we're speaking to those whom God has for us to speak to, we are to begin where they are. And perhaps we need to throw out a leading question or two. Asking them about their lives. And we can then begin to take them from there. It takes wisdom. We may need to be patient. But the key is the same on all occasions. There's no point trying to speak to someone about something that they haven't begun to think about until we speak to them about what they're doing, where they're at. What is your attitude to the law on abortion? What is your attitude to gay the marriage situation? And all of those things get a key into speaking the word of the gospel. Or someone might come uh, to us and speak angrily about something. They're infuriated by something that's going on. And you say, well, I wonder, is God pleased with your temper? Do you think God would be pleased? And you can begin to probe a little. Of course, they may not want to listen. They may not want you to ask or speak any more. But you begin where they're at. A a provoking question. Or if they're involved in some club or society, ask them about it. If they're involved in their horticulture, we'll tell them, well, it's God who makes the flowers to grow. It is God who designed every single one of them. Begin where they are. Or if they're studying geography, talking about the beauty of the scenery around them, remind them God created all things. And then if they talk about evolution, ask them, well, where did you come from? Where do you think you really came from? And that will usually bring them up short. We, we need to ask questions. That's where we're to begin. Getting to know where they're at. And only then can we begin to say, well, you know, there's something far greater. There's something far more important. People have all kinds of hang-ups today and difficulties Let's take a leaf from Philip and begin where they are at. But then, of course, that leads us to another problem. What are we going to say? What does Philip say? Well, Philip, as we said, had an easy enough task. He began with that very passage of Scripture. And it was easy enough for him. But what did he say? Well, the key comes in verse 35. He told him the good news about Jesus. And that is what we are to talk about. We may have to take a detour. We may go down many bypass meadows to get there. We may be round the world 
in many different ways, but our goal, the, the aim that you and I should have as we witness to others, as it was for Philip, is to take people to the good news about Jesus Christ. Here was a man who knew something about God. Philip said, I know what you need. You need to learn about a Savior. And he took him from Isaiah right through to the resurrection and he explained to him adequately the gospel. Keep that in mind when you're speaking to people. You want them to hear the name of Jesus spoken in a God-honoring way. You want them to come to see that God sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for sinners. That is what you and I are to say. You see, we are to be witnesses to Christ as Savior and Lord. That is what we are to do. That begs a question, of course. Do you know Jesus yourself? Can you be a witness for him? If a witness goes into court, the, the court, the jury doesn't want to hear somebody talking about what somebody else saw or what somebody else has done or what their dad has done or what their mum has done. They want to know what that witness has seen. They don't want him to tell them, well, I, my dad or my mum told me this or my great uncle told me this is how it was. And that's no use. A witness has to have first-hand experience. And when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that first-hand experience is utterly vital and it must be, as it were, a fresh first-hand experience. You must have known him in your life, even today, so that you can delight to speak of Jesus who has forgiven you today for the stone in your shoe or for the rock in which we've all sinned. To do this, we need to know and be trusting Jesus Christ as Lord. Philip knew the Savior. He knew Jesus as Lord. He was his man. And he bore witness to him. And what Philip says as a witness gets right to the core. Jesus Christ. He is everything and all. And that's what we are to speak about. Now we may, as I said, have to go round and through other matters. We may have to deal with many a red herring. But we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom about that. So we get them back on track back to, the, to going in the direction of saying, you need Jesus. You need to hear of him as Lord. So here we have the, the eunuch. Why did he go down to the desert road? Well, it didn't look like much. There wasn't crowds of people. Who did he meet? A man of influence. Where did he begin? Where the Ethiopian was. And what did he say? He brought him to Jesus. But lastly, how did the matter turn out? You see, it might have looked almost a fool's errand to the eye of anyone else. And in the whole world, people have said, 
Look, imagine, he's leaving this wonderful ministry, all these people, and he's going down to the desert road. But how did it turn out? That eunuch clearly gave to Philip a commitment of faith that Philip was willing for him to be baptized. Philip has so explained the truth that he had no hesitation when the eunuch said, look, why should I not be baptized? That Philip took him down to the water and poured water over him or sprinkled him and said, you are now receiving the very sign of the covenant blessing as one of God's own children, as a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's how it turned out that the eunuch became a man of God. No greater result could have been brought that this man was brought to Jesus. And one might have thought, and in our day sometimes we talk about this, that then he would have needed a counselor. He would have needed to be discipled. The eunuch would have needed Philip there so that he could ask him more questions. But that's not what God does in this case. Isn't it amazing that God immediately whips Philip away? And we read at the very end of the chapter how it turns out for others. Philip appeared in Astos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Philip goes on and does far more work. But back to the the Ethiopian. What about him? He is absolutely thrilled. He is so caught up in his new faith that, that Philip isn't there anymore. It doesn't matter. We read that he he did not see him again, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He is delighted. He is over the moon about the fact that he has found the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ as Lord. This seed sown has borne fruit. It might have seemed, humanly speaking, rather a waste of time going to a desert road, but God had his purpose. Friends, that is an encouragement to you and to me. God has his purpose when we speak, when we witness to others. It will always turn out according to God's purpose. We do believe that the word does bear fruit. It may bear fruit to a hardened heart as someone is cut off. But we pray more that will bear fruit a hundredfold, that there will be saving faith. And it doesn't depend on you or me. It doesn't depend on how good you've been with your words or how smart you've been with your argument. It depends on the God who sent you, changing the heart and life of that person. Philip simply brought the man from Isaiah 53 to Jesus Christ. And the Lord was at work in his heart and changed him. Philip didn't have to begin to argue and debate and persuade him from a human perspective. Friends, neither do you and I. 
If it was up to you or to me to make a person a Christian, we'd be the most miserable of people. But it's ours to tell them of Jesus and know that God has his people. And he will call them. He will make that word effective in their souls. And it will turn out to the glory and the honor of his name. And it gladdens our hearts that it is so. So that all we have to do is say, Blessed be God, whose word will be made effective. My stumbling, feeble efforts, God uses. What a wonderful joy it is to know that God is sovereign in the salvation of men and women. He is in control. And so when he tells us to go and we should obey, and that's why we're to speak to others. When we meet people all around us, here's our confidence. The end result will bring glory to God. And that will be a blessing. Where are we to begin? We're to begin where they are at and we're to speak of Jesus. And through that, God will bring blessing. So may we continue to be faithful witnesses to the Lord our God. Philip is certainly a unique witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. But may we learn these lessons that we all would be witnesses to him who is our Savior, Jesus Christ.